Hi, and uh, welcome back to Work in Programming. I've got a special guest, a fellow software engineer at Quantum Mob. Hey, guys. And shout out to Quantum Mob for yep. uh, kind of providing the recording equipment in our dope uh, podcast yeah. booth at the office. Um, so, yeah, uh, thanks for coming on. Sure. Tom? I'm Tom Lamb, by the way. Yep. Hi. Uh, yeah, no problem. Glad to be here. Um, yeah, so I guess, uh, and we've also got your dog Willow in the room. Yep, she's uh, here. She's super quiet, but. Yeah, she probably will not be talking. No. Uh, <laughs> that, that would be quite the podcast, yeah. though. Yeah. <laughs> a talking dog. That would be, probably get a, a few uh, a few followers. Anyway. <laughs> All right, yeah, so, um, uh, so the premise of this podcast is kind of just like creating a resource for uh, people who are looking to get into technology and get into programming or in like the various fields that kind of interact with programming. Yeah. So, you know, product management, software or web design and development, all, all of those, all of those good things. Yeah. Um, so I guess I will kind of just kick it off to you. Sure. Like, how did you get into programming? What was your, I know you had a bit of a roundabout way, which I, I love yeah. to have on here. Yeah. Um, okay. So I started, um, when I got out of high school, I went into RMC, which is the Royal Military College of Canada, and I did uh, civil engineering, and then I was a combat engineering officer. So um, I've kind of come in and out of the industry a few times. I mm -hmm. got, basically, after a few years in the military, I was kind of sitting at a desk, really bored, staring at uh, Excel spreadsheets. Yeah, and was that with the military? That you yeah, did? yeah, okay. it was like, after you do... The fun part, uh, then you have to kind of just sit in a cubicle and learn <laughs> how the big green machine works. Yeah, and uh, it's not terribly exciting because it's a lot of um, a lot of accounting and a lot of uh, logistics and just managing things. Right. Um, and so, I was like a subby, which is just like a junior officer, and uh, I was basically just making sure that our janitorial expenses didn't exceed like a certain percentage. Right. Okay. And so it was a whole bunch of like literally um, highlighting rows and, and uh, running calculations manually. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was really boring. Yeah. Uh, and I basically started to figure out how to one, import the data automatically using some shell scripts. Okay. Uh, and then just to do some calculations. And I figured out kind of like how to automate my job yeah. So that I didn't have to do it, so I could go down to U of A and study computer science. Oh, cool. Okay. So you started studying computer science kind of while you were, you, you had your whole system set up with the Excel. And yeah. So, yeah. You, so you started with Excel scripting, I guess. Basically, like Visual Basic macros. And, yeah. uh, and then there was also like, I had to get a CSV file coming off of this SAP database. Right. Uh, which required like, at first required like manually putting in the queries because it was, as you can imagine, there was like a thousand different tables. Right. And so it was just like that tediousness and just automating it and figuring out how to get it from like three days worth of work to like 30 minutes worth of work right. and being able to like find other things to do, so. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah. And then you started studying computer science at U of A, so that's a University of Alberta? Yeah, so um, actually I first started at uh, Athabasca. Okay. So I had uh, like done civil engineering. Um, I knew I didn't want to do that. I knew it was it was 
I was initially attracted to it because I really liked physics um, right. and I liked math in school. Yeah. And I wanted to be an engineering officer in the military. And they're like, the best degree to do that is civil engineering. I'm like, okay, cool. Building bridges sounds fun. Yeah. And then I realized it was it was a fairly established trade. Right. Um, and there wasn't a lot of innovation. I mean, I'm not saying there's not innovation in civil engineering, but it was just not uh, not that interesting. Right. I always pictured it as being like a lot of like city planning, stuff like that. But yeah. like the military, I figure there'd be a lot <laughs> of... I, I would just assume it would be exciting because aren't they the guys that run out like front line? Yeah. And, yeah, and, and yeah. it's exciting when you're in the and when you're in the field, right? Uh, and you're you know blowing things up or or you're building a bridge. Yeah. Uh, but you're not you're not sitting here and like you know going oh f equals ma and like blah 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 like like you're not designing the bridge. The bridge is a Lego set. Yeah. And there's a checklist, and there's no opportunity to be like, well, what if we made this piece thirty percent smaller? How would they? Mm -hmm. No, like you're literally put the bridge across because if you don't get the bridge across like we're all going to die you know so like yeah. <laughs> it's there's not a lot of opportunity to be like let's go on a whiteboard and talk about how we're going to design this like yeah no and that was fine because it was it was a lot more project management and like just getting everything lined up in order to, to mm -hmm. perform these engineering tasks but when you get back to what would they call the garrison when yep. you're when you're not out doing all that fun stuff you're maintaining a whole bunch of real estate and you're uh, keeping track of a whole bunch of vehicles and you're right. managing budgets yeah. and you're dealing with grown-up stuff and I wasn't a grown-up yet I was kind of in my 20s and I'm not saying people in their 20s aren't grown-up but I wasn't um, and I just and my brain was just not stimulated yeah and I was bored okay. so I started to look for and I see this a lot where people that get into this uh, job they do so because they were in another job and they were bored and they mm -hmm. think well, what if there was like a computer program I could write to automate this job? And then they go, huh, maybe there's a job where I can get paid to write computer programs. And yeah. it turns out there is, and it's a really good job. Yeah. So, yeah, I went to, um, first I went to Athabasca and just showed my boss that I was serious about it and got some yeah. good marks. And then I started to actually travel and go to U of A, which was like downtown. So it got me off the base. Mm -hmm. uh, it was really fun because, you know, it's university and like, it's a fun place to be. Right. Um, no need to expand on that anymore but um <laughs> but yeah uh and so then i when i got out of the military i was going to go back and do research for a professor mm -hmm. uh and i bounced around academics for probably six months and then uh i actually stopped doing that and i just became a strongman for a while i i, yeah. I got really into uh training yeah um and which i not to like interrupt, but uh, I just want to kind of like call back to what we were talking about right before we started. Oh yeah. How much can you deadlift, or how much? How do well, you I've 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 managed like okay, so um, in competition, I think I've pulled seven forty ish, which is so seven hundred forty like pounds, and eight then plates. Yeah, it's uh, eight plates a side, <laughs> so you'll probably get kicked out of a good life if you try to do that. Right. Because uh, you might break the bar. Yeah. <laughs> I've oh. seen guys bending the bar with like a couple. A couple plates. Yeah. yeah. So no, it's not a good idea. You want to go to, but yeah. So uh, I yeah. got right into that, and I did uh, like lifted cars, and mm -hmm. basically I just trained all day. And people think, um, you know, how do you go from being interested in programming to being interested in lifting weights? Like, isn't that kind of like a meathead thing? And it, mm. to be honest, uh, some of the most intelligent people I've met are are people that are insanely strong. Yeah. And they're, they're just constantly geeking out on biomechanics and nutrition. Yeah. And um, I actually got like interested in like, I think I, I started to get 
better at programming when yeah. I started working out because I I was uh, I was always a bit of an athlete when growing mm-hmm. up, but yeah. like I never like competed in anything. Mm-hmm. And then I started doing bodybuilding and. Yeah just like the breakdown of like I would be I would go total geek about it right? yeah, like, yeah. You know, like an Excel shit spreadsheet for like every yeah. calorie you take yeah. in and, and every lift you do and you're kind of like tracking progress over everything and yeah and it's, volume. it's the same kind of tendency of like you're just like you're trying to analyze data and uh, yeah it's um, so yeah I did that for a while and then what happened was like a lot of times in my life I got bored um, yeah and no, actually, no, I didn't really get bored with that. What happened was I was, um, I, so you can't really make a living as a strong man unless you're like, you right. know, half Thor. I was right? going to ask like, so, so were you still working for the military this time or were you? No, I'd been out for a few years. Were you working part time or like, how were you getting by with just um, I was like working at a bar at night. Okay. I was basically in my early 30s, I started to do what most people do in their early 20s because the first 10 years of my professional life, I was in the military. Yeah. And so when everyone else was doing Frosh Week, I was doing obstacle courses. Okay. So I didn't get that freedom to just, just you know, be a young adult and just do whatever the heck I wanted. Right. So then when I finally got out, I, you know, started, uh, was like a doorman at a bar. Yeah. Um, and then I was working at a nutrition store during the day. But actually, most of my time was spent, like, I would train, like, five, six hours a day. Yeah. And then, you know, I was making enough money from just, um, like, being sponsored and, like, a little bit of prize money, nothing really significant. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't, I didn't have the, the, the ability, like, despite the fact that I lift a ridiculous amount of weight, it yeah. seems like, um, to be a strong man is, is, it's incredibly hard. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you guys seen like guys like Brian Shaw or or Half Thor. Like these guys are beasts. Yeah. Um, and they're genetically incredibly gifted. Yeah. Uh, so it just like it just it wasn't in the cards for me. I went as far as I could, and then I started working with clients. Okay. Started being a trainer. Yeah. And and I actually did that for a for a long time too. I really enjoyed it, and I built a business. Uh, I did a whole bunch of things in that space. Like I, I take, think you mentioned like you were training like a hundred people or something like that at a time. Oh right? yeah. Um, or sorry, maybe I'm skipping ahead. I don't. Want yeah, to like I mean, I started as just your regular trainer at a brick and mortar gym. Yeah. And then I saw opportunities to do like online coaching to try to influence people's lifestyles. Mm-hmm. Not by seeing them like for three hours a week and telling them they should eat their vegetables, but to like reach out and connect with them through text messaging. Right. And actually, one of the things that I had a lot of success as a trainer, I think partly because I was older and I had a lot of life experience, so I could relate to more people, mm-hmm. uh, and I knew what it was like to actually like to uh, try to get into shape. Um, but uh, so I, I I started to think like. Well, I'm doing all these things um, that are really repeatable. And it was the same theme again. It was like, I really wish there was a computer program that could like remind me to send messages off to these people or like uh, recycle messages because I was using my cell phone for all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, so I started really thinking about like a messaging platform to help personal trainers. Mm-hmm. And the other thing was I was kind of missing the intellectual challenges of, of like doing something like engineering, you know planning something, yeah. thinking about like what you need to do, like actually designing it. Yeah, and, and the other thing was that I was in Fredericton at the time when this really started happening and okay. I kept attracting clients that were like engineering managers or oh. CTOs or, or, so they were always uh, people that were fairly successful mm-hmm. um, and I just kind of felt like I just wanted to be involved. I wanted to be in that scene. 
Yeah. I, I, I kind of been there and done that. I, I've done the whole training thing. I've done the whole strongman thing. And now I'm like, I kind of want a new challenge. Yeah. Um, and I just liked the problems they were dealing with. So I started thinking about how do I take what I've learned about fitness and move into like a startup. Right. So I, okay. I, so that's when, and also along this time I was working with a company called Photocracy and I was delivering online coaching through them and I was using their platform. Yeah. And the, did this solve that like repetitive text message issue that you're talking about? No, or? we were using, so we were basically like using type form and a couple other things mm -hmm. to like, to pull information in and yeah. get people onboarded quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, but we were, I was just kind of itching, like, I'm like, I really want to build an application that does these things. And mm -hmm. I knew what the initial feature set was. Mm -hmm. I knew I would want to buy it. Yeah. Um, so that's when I kind of, I started getting back into uh, software. I just went to a startup weekend mm -hmm. as this big meathead guy, right? And I'm like, yeah, I'm here. I got this idea and I pitched it and we actually did all right. We, uh, I think we got, we got second okay. out, of, out of like 15 teams or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and we ended up going to Montreal and uh, we ended up building a product. Um, Did you hire people to, to work with? So what happened was like I was trying to raise money and I yeah. basically was getting written off by like, a lot of these VCs as this big dumb meathead trainer guy. Yeah. Um, right. And so I've, I'm really stubborn. Yeah. And I'm really competitive. Mm -hmm. So the minute like this, I don't want to say pencil neck, but the minute this person wrote me off, like I remember very specifically one guy just kind of like just treating me like you're not even worth my time, let alone my money. Right. Um, and he kind of implied like, I said, well, you know what, worst case scenario, I'll just build it myself. And he kind of implied like, well, that's impossible. Like you can't figure out how to do like web application development. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah, just watch me. I'll t um, I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah. And of course, the first thing that I built was horrible. It was basically like I bought this, um, you know, theme forest template for an admin dashboard. Yeah. And then I just started hacking away at it, mm -hmm. trying to figure out how to build the back end and uh, never really bothered to... Um, like ask anyone <laughs> like how I should approach it. Yeah. Then I actually finally asked one of my old clients who was like a, a senior engineer. Yeah. And he walked me through like what a Mern stack was. Okay. Um, and kind of like architected it for and me. And that's Mongo, Express, React, and no, uh, no yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah and we just okay. we built it. And he, he worked with you to build it, or he helped with the architecture, and then you just yeah. Went off he was like, have fun with that. Yeah. Um, and. I started building it, and then um, once I had like an MVP, I was able to get a little bit of funding. Okay. And we got some students from UMB that helped us for a while. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we we just stood it up, and uh, it was awesome. an awesome experience. Yeah. So yeah. And so then, how long did you do this? Like, how long were you running with this? Like, fit. Uh, what did you fit, call it? Actually, fit. I'm kind of curious. So it started off. Okay, so it was first called Padwin. Okay. Because I thought that's what a new Jedi was called. Yeah, yeah, like a Padawan. Padawan. But okay. I thought it was a Padwin. Okay. And my and I had this other partner for a brief period of time, and he was like, I don't know what Padwin is, but it sounds kind of cool. <laughs> and then it was Paleo Concierge because we were trying to make um of like a, a a refrigerator management app so that you would eat a paleo diet. Okay. Yeah, so it like you know how startups are like yeah, it went it all over the place. Evolved or changed, like pivoting. Yeah, yeah. Because um, it seems like you started off. Well, not to like delve too much into it, but it's no. like you started off with uh, trying to like basically build a community mm -hmm. platform, messaging, all mm -hmm. that, and then I guess you know you probably over time realized that that might 
not be as useful or is it more too difficult? And well, it was like just that, like a complex? lot of times you get, you get this advice, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, free advice and it's worth exactly what you pay for it. Yeah. Um, you get a lot of advice. Uh, okay. and so you get told like, ah, that's, you know, that's a little too like habit formation app. What the, or for a communications dashboard, like what the heck is that? You know? Right. Um, why don't you just, uh, help people like eat better? Right. Okay. So you started to niche it down, and then mm. eventually you got to this like paleo kitchen management or uh, fridge management. We did that, yeah. But then we ended up coming back to FitPath because that was like my vision. And, yeah. And so we did build. We eventually built uh, like a, like a dashboard that would allow a client or would allow a, a, a like a, a fitness coach to um, to aggregate all of his messaging traffic mm-hmm. and then triage it based on like um, some. Um, uh, natural language processing. Okay. Okay. So like, hey, how's your day going? Ask that to 100 people. Let uh, you know Watson or whatever parse it out and kind of grade them based on like which people sound like they're doing the worst. Which oh. ones should we react to first? Kind of thing. Wow. Okay. And then we also had a what was called a motivational interviewing uh, loop yeah. that would basically say like, hey, what's the one thing you're proud of that you did last week? you want to keep doing what's one thing you want to improve on yeah and then we take those text strings and we just fire them back at people and just reinforce like hey are you how's that going you're still doing that and we'd run that for clients okay and this was all automated and kind of in the background yeah Yeah. if i deliver it through sms using like twilio's api okay cool yeah and then if i'm a trainer and Mm -hmm. i'm on this platform is there like a point where i can like intercept and stop the message and kind of take over yeah yeah you Uh, can see all the messages in real time on a feed it was pretty broke right like like it was not responsive there was a whole bunch of things that weren't great about it but it worked mvp right yeah it's like you're building something that works before Mm -hmm. you worry about all the details which i love is like you're kind of like building the community side of things Mm -hmm. and like the business and the Mm -hmm. team and you're also building like the smallest version of like what you needed and so what we did was we first um it's not a bad way to do it uh, Mm -hmm. because we basically that same guy that kind of uh, motivated me in a mm-hmm. negative way, but hey, it worked. He he was like, you know, if you're so good at training, why don't you just build up a community and get them to pay for it? And I was like, mm-hmm. huh, all right. So that's that's kind of what I did is I got yeah. a bunch of people back that uh, working with me online and I'm like, hey, by the way, part of your subscription is you get access to this app that we're building. Right. And I just started trying to get more and more functionality on the app. Okay. And then we tried to get other uh, coaches to use it. Yeah. So TLDR, it failed. Right. Um, because we were focusing on fulfillment. We were focusing on like, once you have a bunch of great clients and they really want to do everything that you're telling them to do, mm-hmm. here's how you fulfill their, uh, their needs. The problem is right. most trainers are nowhere near that stage of the pipeline. They're at the, I need more clients stage yeah. and they, they just need more business. Yeah. Um, and so that's a completely different problem. And only like one out of 50 trainers had the, I have way too many clients, right. please help me manage them. Yeah. And they didn't want to get on a phone call with me to, for me to pitch them to buy my software because they were too busy with their clients. Right. And, and that's a good problem to have, but it yeah, kind of gets in your way. It gets in your way and the deal, the deal size wasn't big enough. And so mm-hmm. all the economics of how you actually build like a SaaS, um, you know, uh, B2B kind of uh, platform and like knowing that you if you build it and you actually get traction you'll actually be profitable enough to stay going that was stuff i never even thought of right um and i still don't think of very much because you know now i'm just doing software but but it's kind of important to be aware of like yeah if you're going to build something for someone make sure that they're uh, the kind of person that can afford to pay what you're going to need to 
to keep your product going. Right, like, and it sounds like for this application, I mean, you're using like Watson, you're using Twilio, you're using all these different APIs, plus your hosting, plus your system, and then yeah. you have to do sales calls, which is pretty manual. Yeah, at one point we were like doing about $1,200 worth of costs per month, and we were making about $600 in revenue. <laughs> Yeah. So, because like the problem was, I was so focused on building software that I was having a hard time um, like keeping my clients happy, mm-hmm. and I was having a hard time growing uh, my clientele. Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't care about that. I wanted the yeah. software to succeed. So yeah. So in a way, it's like you got to the very least, like you got the best education in software you can, where you ran your own company for I think a few years. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Um, well, I actually had a so my buddy Matt was the CEO because yeah. I'm not someone that should ever be a CEO. Mm-hmm. I'm too impetuous. I'm too uh, passionate. Okay. Um, you want someone that's a little bit more reserved, and we used to joke that he was the Tom Whisperer. So he would just like, if whenever I had a crazy idea, he'd be like, all right, that's an interesting idea. So why don't we just walk through how you're going to, and he would just talk yeah. me off the, you know, the yeah. ledge of like, yeah, as much as you want to like, just rip the angular thing apart and put react in there. Um, we can't really do that right now because, you know, so he would just, he was the rational one that actually kept the company going a lot longer than it would have if it had just been me. Okay. Yeah. That's good to know. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, it's, it's like, you know, you have to have a partner. You, a lot of people think that everything is like a one and done, right? Like it's like, no, there's like a superhero at the top and they just carry it through. You got Mark no. Zuckerberg or something, but like even those guys, everyone has help and yes. you just, you just don't hear about it as the, much. And the thing that I realized was like, I actually sought him out because I respected him a lot mm. and I have a tendency to like be very like, I think I know everything. Like I've worked on that, but that's one of the things I tend to is like I got this yeah but like I every time he'd be like hold on I, I had a lot of respect for him because we, we've been in the military together we played rugby together we we'd gone through training together right so I knew this guy uh, was a real genuine genuine dude and also he he's also six foot four and about 280 pounds right so I, he was also like not intimidated by me yeah because um, he could he's also uh, did Taekwondo his whole life so he could probably knock me on my ass pretty fast <laughs> so he was just I was just like, I think one of the takeaways doesn't really have anything to do with software, but if you are trying to get something going, maybe don't find someone that like is a lot like you. Find someone that complements your strengths and can even push back and, and force you to grow and develop. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually that means, you know, someone that maybe you're even going to have some like some tense conversations with sometimes. Right, because like, you guys disagree. Yeah, um, yeah, we disagreed a lot, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, but we had a lot of respect. Do you think that the military training helped you to collaborate like a lot? Yeah, more? big time. Yeah, more so with him because he stayed in a lot longer and he had uh, a strong grasp on like how do we organize the complexity of this. Right. Um, Meanwhile, you left because you wanted the adventure. Yeah. So it's. I liked I liked the chaos. Yeah. Um, which is you know, why, yeah. Sometimes okay. like DevOps is fun for me. Cause it's like, <laughs> what's going on? I don't know, but we'll figure it out. Okay, yeah. so then how so did that you, was FitPath. So what did you do after FitPath? Like, um, so after living off ramen noodles for like maybe two and a half years, um, I just got really tired and um, it wasn't making any money. It was mm-hmm. really, it got really depressing to be honest. Like I was, I was depressed. Yeah. Uh, and I think people need to talk about that. Like they don't, they talk about all the high points of their, of their journey. Mm-hmm. But like there was a period of time where I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how to get out of this. Um, like it's, I thought this was going to be super fun, but I like, it's, there's only so many months that you can make like next to nothing yeah. and you can work your butt off and you can still like s- get up and smile. Yeah. It gets it's a hard. struggle, right? And like, yeah. it, it, like the grind gets to you eventually. Yeah. I mean, it really does. You can't just keep 
pushing through if you don't see any results. And exactly. It's, it's and then insanity is, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again yeah. and expecting a different result. And a lot of times startups are they're pretty insane, you know? Yeah. Um, so, and the other thing that really made that harder for me was that at least out in the East at this time, there was this kind of culture of like, everything's great. You know, startups are awesome. They're going to they're gonna revitalize our economy. Look at all these great startups. And all right. Uh, and I guess welcome back to part two. Part two. Of Tom Lamb and Matthew so, Weeks. This is an 18-piece series, the life and history of Tom Lamb. Oh, yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that would be a ratings nightmare. I think that would be amazing. We'll just we'll just uh, we'll just go into like micro details of all of your relationships and over the course of your life. Yesterday, I had a piece of toast with 1.3 ounces of butter spread evenly across the toast. Now, what percentage, <laughs> what percentage fat of butter do you use? Uh, it do was you... quite high. It was uh, it was uh, oh man. Now I forget. Okay. Anyway, so we'll stop talking about. Butter. All right. Okay. So, so. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I think we left off. We were talking about uh, we were ta startup culture. Yeah, we, uh, so I guess what I was trying to say about that, and I'll just sum it up, mm -hmm. was that, um, yeah, startups are great. I mean, I love, the, I love the tech industry, but I think it's really important when you're, when you're trying to get something going that you recognize that some days are going to be really hard and you're actually going to get really bummed out. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's a pretty natural reaction to trying to do something incredibly hard. And we have a mm -hmm. real tendency with like social media and everything to just really focus on all the positives and when people do amazing things. And that's great. And that's really inspiring. But it's important to understand that like, you know, uh, Edison made, uh, as legend has it, Edison made like almost 10,000 light bulbs before he got it right. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure he had a couple of rough days. Yeah, there. for sure. And so just from a mental health perspective, just being aware that like it, it is a really stressful job if you do find that you're getting bummed out or you're getting overwhelmed, don't isolate yourself, like reach out, uh, ask for help and, and talk about it. Yeah. Because uh, I went through some, some really tough patches there and uh, I had a lot of good friends to support me, but there were times when I felt like, oh, I'm the only person that's struggling and mm -hmm. everyone else is doing so well and, and uh, that's baloney. Um, I think so, yeah. like Tim Ferriss actually had like a pretty awesome article about that where he talks about like the bipolar like aspect of yeah. entrepreneurs in general. Yeah. yeah. And I've heard that from like most of my friends that are doing entrepreneurship mm -hmm. in general is like it's it's actually I don't even think it's an exception to the norm or like you know people need to realize it's like everyone yeah. experiences that especially yeah. if you're an entrepreneur because like your like passion and like your you know most mm -hmm. of your life is kind of tied to your your career at that point. It's like your psyche it's like your psyche is is so. Um, it's like it can you can take all this energy and build yourself up and get so worked up about your next prototype or your next release or whatever mm. or your hockey stick growth. But it's like that same superpower to get like super worked up and to motivate people and to be super productive. It can also burn you, like literally burn you out because you don't have the normal. Um, safeguard of like, okay, well, I've, I've just worked like three weeks in a row of like a hundred hours a week. I should probably mm -hmm. take some downtime. And we don't, we don't self, uh, regulate like and entrepreneurs are kind of, they're a little bit crazy. Well, you always have that, like you've always got something else you could do yeah. or you're always thinking about it. This is one thing I actually figured out maybe six, nine months ago. My, yeah. one of my old boss, my old boss was like, He's like, you know, you're always racing towards the finish line, but in this game, there's like, there really isn't a finish line. Yeah. Like, there's another sprint coming on Monday. He's like, you need to learn how to just like, 
you know, have a little bit more balance. And that's something I've been working on. Uh, and I like, I'm actually a much happier person now than I probably was like five or six years ago mm-hmm. for a number of reasons. But one of them is that I just kind of give myself breaks. And I. So how do you, how do you balance that though? Cause so for instance, like I think to be like extremely successful and to like, just like to have the drive to like really like push yourself as yeah. like, you know, as developer or even like as a, you know, power lifter or whatever, yeah. like you're going to be always, it's kind of like you have that always on mentality to start. Yeah. Um, okay. So and I, for even for me, like I'm trying to build that for myself, you know, I'm trying right. to, cause I'm one of those people that I think, you know, I'm always focused on what I can do next. And I'm always thinking about the problems that I haven't solved yet. And I'm like, you know, I'll rest yeah. when I'm done. And it's like, what? <laughs> I had a friend recently say, like, what's done? Yeah, what's done? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, what, what do you mean? They're like, when is it going to be done? Like, it's not going to be done. We, we... Um, okay, well, so me, for me personally, uh, I, I'd say I like to think about micro bursts. Okay. Um, and so, like, I kind of give myself freedom between, like, Monday and Friday to work a lot and get really obsessed about what I do. But right. I, I have this in the back of my head, like, come Friday at 5, you're walking out of the office. Mm-hmm. You're not going to do any work until Monday morning at nine or right. whenever, whenever I get in. And I don't even have Slack on my phone now. And I don't. I'm not saying that people should do exactly this. I right. think it's for me. It's like I really enjoy having the whole weekend. What I do, I usually sleep a lot. I eat a lot of really delicious food, and I go powerlift. Mm-hmm. And powerlifting for me is a sport that I just find it's so. It so requires me to focus on the moment that I don't have the bandwidth to have a hundred different things loaded up in my context. Like I basically, it's like, you know, when you sit down and you're going to code for a few hours and you start loading stuff into your context as like, as your brain, I mean, your brain, not like, like you get files, but you literally just start hoisting information into your brain. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, I have enough information. Now I can actually start solving the problems because I know about what the backend's doing. I know about what this doing. And you have to manage a whole bunch of different moving parts and you have to bring them together. And it's a really fun thing to do, but it's also pretty draining. Mm-hmm. And it's also the same kind of thing we do when we're consuming media and we're consuming social media and stuff like that, where we're just like, we've got all of these different things we're trying to manage and we're just like moving back and forth and switching. Right. And so for me, like one of the things I love about powerlifting is I usually just turn off my phone. I let the gym worry about what kind of music I'm going to listen to. And I just sit there and sit in front of a barbell for a few hours and I just lift as much weight as I, as I possibly can. And the first 30 minutes are usually incredibly frustrating and I get really pissed off because I'm like, I can't turn my brain off. And then eventually my brain starts to quiet and I start to get more of a, like a dopamine hit from the fact that I was able to like move a certain amount of weight a certain way. And that felt really good. So the, the biofeedback of like, Hey, focus on what you're doing just this is all you need to worry about yeah and then that starts to get addictive for me i hear that a lot with and i i've, I've had this before but like with um like say running right yeah, yeah you just keep going and at first like it's actually harder to run because you're thinking yep and you're just thinking like oh i can't wait for this to be done i can't wait for this yep. to be done and then eventually you just i i almost describe it as like you, it's not it's not a ple- it's not necessarily a pleasant feeling in the moment it's not like you uh you're so elated that you just forget about it but it's more like you're just so tired that you just your brain just <laughs> stops focusing on it but maybe yeah. maybe there's more to it so cause... the thing i don't know about other sports and i yeah. definitely don't recommend everyone just start powerlifting. 
Uh, oh, you, th- you don't think I should just go and deadlift like no, 400 pounds tomorrow? No, no, no. Well, you can if you want. I think I, no, I, <laughs> I can't. So the thing I like about, about powerlifting is like I feel like my I feel strong as I'm becoming more focused and I always just picture myself like a laser beam. It's like yeah. you start off and you're a flashlight and your shit, your energy's going everywhere. Yeah. And absolutely the first 30 minutes you're like, you become aware that your energy is being poorly distributed across a number of things that you can do absolutely nothing about right now. Mm-hmm. And then that gets you really annoyed because you're like, dude, I just want to focus. I just want to have a good workout. Yeah. And then there's this time where you just accept that you're going to be kind of spread apart. And then all of a sudden you you start to get focused. And uh, it's just, it's not like, I don't feel happy, but I feel... Driven. So yes. Can, yeah. I feel driven. I yeah. feel like this is the this is what I'm doing, and lift I'm going to accomplish weight, this. Put it down. Lift the weight again. Yep. And then, uh, you know, so it, so that's one thing for me. Just my whole weekend is usually just like disconnecting, try to stay off social media, um, and just spending time with people that I care about and and yeah. uh, and doing things I care about. Right. For another person, it might be like working on their garden, you know, right. or or going out having brunch. But I think it's just it's just connecting with humans and connecting with yourself in some meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Th- that helps me. Um, That's interesting because it's it's almost I, I think a lot of the people I've talked to so far have actually kind of exuded the whole idea of like always be learning, always be focusing on things. And a lot of the people I follow online and I mean, and everyone talks about it's that. Nice right? to say that. Yeah. But it's easy to say that. I guess you. So it's it's nice to hear like from someone that's doing pretty well. That you know, <laughs> I'm okay. I guess. Yeah, yeah, you're doing well, and I know. But like, so what I mean is, like, I'm just. It's yeah. good to hear that uh, somebody can can be successful at their career and in programming, and yeah. also the, just turn off. The other thing I do, I ride my bike to work most days. Um, yeah. So it's about 25 minutes, and a lot of times I thought to myself, I should really download a bunch of podcasts, and I should really multi-purpose this activity, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, and I do listen to podcasts when I'm on the TTC or if I take. Actually, when I'm on an Uber, I usually talk. I usually treat the Uber driver like my therapist. Yeah. And I usually just like dump, and then we just try to have like a, a good conversation. You don't always. It sometimes you get some people that are a little bit different than you, and you don't really connect. But yeah. But, um, but yeah, like when I ride my bike, I usually just listen to like chill music, and I just enjoy the fact that I'm I'm just riding my bike through a beautiful city. Mm-hmm. Um, the number one thing for me is that like when I walk through the door, and I don't always do this. I'm really not trying to act like some. But when I walk through the door, I want to be present. Like, I want to actually, like, when I talk to people that I'm going to be working with, I want to be, like, able to to really be focused on them. And I don't want to have a bunch of other distractions showing up. Yeah. And that's hard to do if you're doing, if you're always focusing on a bunch of different things, I guess. Yeah. And um, and I do like podcasts. Um, there's definitely a time when I, like, I feel maybe, like, I don't know if I feel lonely, but, like, it's in the morning and most of the people that I hang out with are asleep. Uh, maybe I'll throw a podcast on just to listen to somebody. I really love like uh, listening to Gary Vaynerchuk. Mm. I don't agree with all of his tactics, but I do believe with, I believe his passion and I believe like how much he cares. Uh, and I just like his energy. He's just a ton of positivity. So he, he kind of gets me fired up, makes me want to go listen to a hundred podcasts and, yeah. you know, crush it all day long. And I just, I think the, the most important thing is like for me, success is how many of the things that I do today that I actually really enjoyed and had fun. I don't really, I make enough money that I don't care that much about my, um, my finances. And that's, I guess that's easy for me to say, but like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not trying to say like I'm a millionaire or anything. Like I'm not, but like, 
my primary thing that I worry about is like, am I enjoying the way that I'm spending my time? Because there's only so much time we all get given, and and mm-hmm. like to to spend most of it just trying to achieve some goal that in 50 years no one's going to remember anyways, like doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, it used to. It used right. to drive me, and I was totally alpha, and I wanted to prove to the world how awesome I was. Yeah, and I realized the world didn't really care that much. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm honestly, maybe that's something to like speak to just like maturity, right? Like over yeah. time, you know, like I'm in a point right now where like I'm doing this podcast on the weekends, yeah. um, trying to teach courses. Like I really want to build out that, like just build out something that I care yeah. about. Build but, a legacy or build something that ma- that mean- brings value to people maybe. Yeah, it brings value to people or even just like feels like I'm accomplishing something. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, that might not be uh, forever. You know, eventually I'm going to want to, we are a lot Show younger a than me too. Like I'm 45. Yeah. Like I know I sound very youthful and energetic, and this, <laughs> the voice that's coming. No, I'm just kidding. But like I'm 45, so I've done a lot of things where I where I did those, and I loved every minute of it. Like yeah. it was super fun. It's just that yeah, like I lately now I'm kind of like I, I just like to have like these different parts of my life that give me yeah. different things. And I really respect that actually. I Thanks, like, man. I really appreciate the, to to have that that advice on there because some people need to hear that, you know. Yeah, because, like, we're not all going to be Elon Musk. Spoiler yeah. alert, you know. Oh, shit. I thought it was Elon Musk. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, actually, so, so to get back to the – unless you had something else you wanted no. to talk about, but um, to get back to kind of your career and just to, like, focus on – maybe we could just sure. do it as, like, you know, I'm sure there's different lessons we'll get through For sure, all the yeah. way. These podcasts are typically pretty bouncy. But, yeah, uh, that's okay. That's the best part. Yeah, exactly. Um, so after uh, – after sorry fit fit path, fit path. yeah um so you 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 got the funding you went through the whole ordeal through the yeah. entire thing um eventually uh you and your partner decided that it wasn't the right direction yeah, it just got too hard it was it was yeah. too hard and uh that's i guess that's another tip too is like you like an entrepreneur or someone that can take a failing business that has no hope of success and keep it going for three years yeah at the expense of their own personal well-being. Right. So one of the things I think my business partner did a really good job of is is avoiding me like another year or two of like just pounding my head against the wall because I, I don't know how to quit. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was a lot more realistic. Yeah. He was kind of like, listen, man, like the last six months we really haven't seen any significant, you know, movement. Mm-hmm. Like you're you're basically keeping this thing going by just working on it all the time. Yeah. He's like, I don't really think this is doing anything for you. So that's when I, um, yeah, that's when I literally wrote on Facebook, like I'm like, here's what I built over the last few years. Um, uh, here's, here's my experience. Um, does anyone want to hire me to build software for them? And, uh, a bunch of people wrote back and that's actually how I came to Toronto. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so where were you? Where were you before that? That was in. I was. We were in Fredericton. So Fredericton is New Brunswick. For those people listening that have oh. never heard of Fredericton, it's a small city in New Brunswick. Yeah. Uh, that's where we built Fitpath. Wow. Okay. And then yeah. And you just flew over and you just moved to Toronto and just dropped everything. Um, well, I didn't have much left at that point because I basically <laughs> like gone from like a three bedroom house and, and and a gym and a whole bunch of stuff to like a couple of duffel bags and. Right. Uh, and a buddy's basement apartment that I was living out of. So I really didn't have much left. And yeah, I basically, I, I got a job, um, signed the contract, got a relocation bonus, and um, did a ride share with a lady that was driving here for work. And me and my dog, Willow, 
uh, drove the whole way here, and uh, then we stayed at Airbnbs for about two months, and then I found a place to live, and then I've just been in Toronto for the last three and a half years now. Cool. So, wow. Yeah. Um, so do you mind mentioning the company that you went to, or you'd rather not? Um, maybe we'll just not, because I haven't explicitly asked them if it's okay to refer to them, but I got nothing okay. but good things to say about them. Okay, cool. Um, people could probably figure it out from my LinkedIn, but, yeah. uh, but I don't want to like get into details about them, because they haven't really given me any permission, but right. basically okay, I was fair. working for a consultancy, and I was making um, just making web apps mm-hmm. that uh, did a variety of different things. And was that, um, is that what you were doing up until you came to Quantum Mob, or... Uh, no, so I've, I've worked for a couple different companies. Yeah. So one was um, a consultancy, so just building like their web page, some forms, mm-hmm. um, just stuff to help them be more effective as a consultancy. And then the next place was a marketplace. So it was oh. built. It was uh, I actually replaced a, a Ruby on Rails um, full stack application. I took mm-hmm. a part of the front end and replaced it with Next.js. Okay. And. Um, and they're still in progress of moving most of their front end. They're going to move all their front end over to Next.js, I would imagine. Okay. And, um, but yeah, that was a company that had an app or like had a series of websites that were in production and just uh, doing like a brownfield migration kind of thing. So it was, it was actually, it was pretty interesting. Uh, I just need to pause this for a second. Be- Where were we? We, uh, we were uh, talking about, um, me migrating, or me being part of the team that migrated uh, like a Ruby on Rails app yeah. over to uh, an, like a microservice, basically next front end. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, you were at another. Then I came shop. here. Okay. So, and I can talk about this place. Yeah. I think. I think it's okay. Uh, yeah. We can. Uh, <laughs> we can definitely talk about the workplace. So it's Quantum Mob. Quantum Mob. Bum, bum, bum. Uh, <laughs> honestly, one of the greatest agencies that I've oh, seen. Yeah. Like very yeah. creative. And just very collaborative and very quantum like, very mob like. Yes. Yes. Exactly. So, <laughs> uh, so what was the for you like when you so you made that trip um, from New Brunswick all the way down to Toronto? Yeah, it was terrifying. Yeah, I can yeah. imagine. Yeah, and everybody was super supportive. No, they yeah. were like, you can't, you can't go to Toronto. Oh, Toronto's really? like, Toronto's like, there's like murderers and there's thieves and it's like, it's like because it's a small town in New Brunswick, right? Yeah. So everybody was like, why would you ever want to leave this place? I'm like. I don't know because I'm I'm not terribly engaged here anymore. There's not a lot for me to discover. Yeah. So yeah, I was actually like, yeah, like I I, I mean I came here, I didn't even have like a lease. Um, I mean I had a job, but mm-hmm. I mean they could have canned me after a couple of weeks, and I would have been you know on the streets or whatever. I don't know. I yeah. I, I just kind of felt like. Uh, no matter what happens, it's just something I really want to do. And anytime I've ever felt any sort of like fear of like the unknown, mm-hmm. I've gotten a little bit um, stubborn about it. And I've been like, yeah, well, like whatever happens to me, I'll, I can weather it. I can, I'll, I'll get through it and I'm, yeah. I'm going to go for it. Um, and I awesome. just, I really wanted to like work with people that were smarter than me. And I'm not saying there weren't people that were smarter than me in Fredericton. There were. Right. They were really busy. They didn't have a lot of time to answer my emails. Yeah. And so. <laughs> if, you didn't, if you weren't working with them, exactly. then you don't get to really... I, I find that, like, yeah, you can learn as much as you want from blogs and all of that. But until yeah. you're working with somebody... Absolutely. You don't... And when, at the moment you're working with somebody, yeah. like, you download their brain yeah. pretty quick. Yeah. And yeah. you'd be surprised, like, how quickly somebody can go from, like... I don't know, like the first, like, so like if you're building your own company yeah. and you're working and you're working and you're working, you learn a lot. You definitely yeah. learn a ton. 
but you might not necessarily learn best practices except yeah. learning them by accident being like oh man I really shouldn't have put that like back end on this like Linux box that's been like plugged into the wall in my basement yeah because when the power went out like that caused a lot of problems and it was yeah. really hard to rebuild the thing and and then you just you know you pick those things up yeah but when you, you work with it. like the first guy I worked with like he had a ton of knowledge yeah and I learned a lot from him a lot about just like documentation mm. um, he was the first guy to talk to me about like it's so much more important to build trust with a client um, than it is to get specifics about features right like listening to them talk about their problems yeah um, and I still think this is huge um, and uh, yeah I mean I, there was a lot of just like this is how a, a grown-up writes software kind of stuff that I learned mm. um, you're not like hacking valuable. it together and just you know trying to get to the next iteration right, yeah. you want something like if you're working on a client work I mean there is that pressure to deliver but really what you want to like convince them of is the fact that like I'm here to mm -hmm. help you mm -hmm. solve your problems and yeah. that's my benefit. It's not just the code I put out. Yeah. It's like the quality as Absolutely. well as the, the direction. I mean, I got this, so I got a bike that I've been riding for the last few years and mm -hmm. um, um, I've, so I went this, had this one bike shop that I always went to because I really trusted these guys. Yeah. And every time they touched my bike, I knew it was going to be in a better state. Mm -hmm. And they weren't going to leave anything half-assed. And, uh, you know, I moved away from that bike shop where I actually had to, like, ride for 10Ks to go see them. Mm -hmm. um, and I went to some other places, and I wasn't super impressed. Like, there was one time where something broke after I just paid, like, 120 bucks to get it fixed. Mm -hmm. And so I was just thinking about, like, I just ended up reaching out to these guys again. I was like, can you guys please come pick up my bike? Because I had a bunch of work I wanted to get done, and I wanted mm -hmm. them to do it because I knew I could trust them. Yeah. And so that's the kind of thing I see. I see this with like Quantum Mob where we're, as we touch code, even if it's not code that we uh, wrote ourselves, if we're inheriting code from somebody else, yeah, we're constantly at the very least not trying to make, introduce any new tech debt. We're always trying to like either remove some existing tech debt mm -hmm. and it's just that basically trying to work on because software is never really done. No, it's know? an evolving thing, right? Because yeah. it's like, if you build a component and it and it works for right now, you might want to. You could just keep rebuilding that same component yeah. over and over again, but you really want to reuse it. Yeah. So, it's never really. It's like they say, um, like art is never done; it's just abandoned. And it's, mm. I feel like software is the same way. Um, the whole point is that like you're you're kind of working on a relationship, and you're working on. Um, people trusting you to do good work and that the next feature you ask for is going to take less time because the code that's been built upon is, is more robust. Mm -hmm. It's more um, aligned with best practices. And uh, that way uh, the, the, the next person that comes to work on it is going to be able to figure out how do I work inside of this code base a little more quickly mm -hmm. um, and then how do I get productive. And I guess that gets back to what you were saying about doc. Like you said, you learned a lot about documentation too, which is, yeah. I mean, to be honest, every developer that I've met that's like really, a lot of developers at least, most developers, oh, yeah. are tend to be like, oh yeah, my, my code's self-documenting. So I don't need anybody to, I don't need any <laughs> documentation, right? I don't need comments, I don't need a yeah. readme. And then you look at the commit messages and it's like stuff works. It's yeah. like, oh, it's really, really? You, yeah. you're, you, you, uh, every little piece of English that you write down is perfectly formed and yeah. Um, so documentation is pretty important, just like writing, uh, a good pull request uh, yeah. that uh, that a reviewer can quickly get up to speed and know what he's doing. 
So um, something small, like yeah. reasonable Mi- micro changes. documentation, like. Hmm. And I know it's kind of hard, and I'm not gonna lie. Like I think I probably wrote like um, this is broken on a pull request like today. Right. Um, but it was because I like, yeah, and actually now that I say that, I'm like, okay, I should probably go fix that. But um, yeah, just, I mean, the thing about documentation is that 90% of the notes that I write to myself, three days later, I read them and I have no idea what I was thinking. Yeah. And I go, what did those three words mean? And when I wrote them down, I thought, this is the perfect combination of words to remind me to do this in two days. Mm-hmm. And so um, just one of the things I continue to struggle with is taking the time to write good notes that will actually be usable in the future that my future self you know, be kind to your future self kind of thing. Yeah. Like it's like my future self will actually read it and go, oh, right, I get that. And so that only gets harder as the documentation or the note taking needs to serve like not just your needs, but other people's needs when they're going to be using whatever you've built. Mm-hmm. And the need for clarity um, and maybe not verbosity, like maybe not just explain, like telling a whole story, but actually mm-hmm. figuring out like what needs to be communicated and how can I make this as clean? How can I introduce links? How can I format it um, mm-hmm. so that so that it's very easy to read um, instead of just a wall of text? Uh, yeah, I know this stuff. It sounds like a lot of we talk to juniors and like um, you know they they want to they want to know more about Hollow or they want to know more about like hooks. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I think you should go use the Hemingway app and teach yourself how to write at a grade four level because if you can um, if you can put a pull request description in that reads at a grade four level, then guess what? You have an incredibly good idea of how, yeah. with the code you just wrote. Um, if you can't, then you probably have spider code and you right. probably haven't actually um, really thought about like what you're doing consistently and you might have a big mess. Yeah, so. that's actually funny because so early on when I first started trying to create my own like business and mm-hmm. like I didn't know 100% like how to design a site well. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I read was a book by, I think, Neville Medora. I'm probably getting the name wrong. Okay. But it's just a tiny, tiny little book. And it's called, This Will Teach You How to Read, Write. Okay, okay. And I'd it love is, to see that. It's, I, you should, I, I would love to show you. I'm bringing yeah. it in. Uh, I still have it. I carry yeah. it with me everywhere. Yeah. And I've reread it at least five times. And it's, yeah. the well, the fact that the book is maybe 100 pages, probably less. Yeah. And it, it sold millions of copies <laughs> and I think it changed it, it, it changed the way that I write yeah. so that, you know, I'm writing a heading and then a very brief period of text. And yeah. it's uh, sometimes like, it, you know, I think when we go to school and yeah. things like that, you I'm write, told, you got to write a thousand words, right? You got to write a thousand words. And it's you like, get into this habit of writing a ton of descriptive words. Like mm-hmm. I can think adverbs are kind of like the yeah. worst thing you can do in most yeah. cases extremely wildly effective it's like, so it's effective <laughs> yeah um, it's funny you say that though because so one of my favorite quotes is like Mark Twain uh, I would have written you a, a shorter letter but I didn't have enough time mm-hmm. um, and so the idea that a book is 100 pages long um, everyone would kind of like look at that and say that that's like a negative indication of its value because it yeah. doesn't have enough content and it's like no, it, it, they probably started with like 500 words and then they mm-hmm. spent a long time and a lot of empathy, a lot of effort, a lot of thought went into how do we make this as concise and effective mm-hmm. as possible. And you know, it's funny. 
What? That plays immediately into programming, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because you um, write it first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, I just, this, uh, there was a pull request today that we, that somebody wrote. I um, won't use any names, but like, no, this was a good, this was a good thing. But what happened mm. was they basically had like, they had code that had a bunch of data in it. So they had a whole bunch of like if statements, but the if statements looked really similar and they were calling the same um, like instantiation of a React component a mm. bunch of different times. But it was all hard coded, and I was like, okay, so like, how can you lift all that? So I'm like, you see that there? That's data. That's data. That's data. That's data. How can you take that data, put it into a structure, and then right. iterate over that structure in some way with a map or whatever, so that you get a very concise algorithm? And we took like 400 lines of code and we turned it into 40. Right, and that's huge. It's huge, and it was it was it was a really good exercise. This is the kind of exercise that if you're a junior and you're like, how do I get to intermediate? It's like mm -hmm. stuff like that, refactoring yeah. spider code and making it concise and easy to read. I would say one. the other is testing. Yeah, yeah, I, and then that was after that. I was like, so oh, how would we test this? Yeah, but yeah, no, I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna talk about that. So you didn't. You know, oh, sorry, my you didn't bad. steal my thunder or anything okay. like that. No, no, I. But it's a totally that is a really good point too. Um, like just thinking about how. And even before you start, like, how should I test this thing? What's success look like? Mm. But, um, yeah, and it was, so, um, absolutely, you know what, that's a really good point. It's like, it's like the idea of like, how do I write concise code that does the same thing as longer lines, of, more lines of code mm. does take more thought. Yeah. And the same with English. It's like, okay, I'm telling this, this story and there's nothing wrong with storytelling. Storytelling is a really powerful tool, but maybe lift the story into one thing and lift the meat into something else so that people have like a really concise description of what yeah. they're being expected to do. And I think the other thing is too, like, you know, you shouldn't, cause there, there's that part where it's like, you know, 80% of writing the story is editing the story, yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah. Like you don't have to get it right the first time. And no. I think a lot of people get that wrong. I always get, I used to get that wrong all the time and I still do today, you know? The hesitation yeah. and like the the like what do you call it analysis paralysis? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, trying to solve for like your third edge case when you haven't even written a line of code yet. Yeah, you know. Um, but yeah, I. So I joke that like I basically write console log like a hundred times a day, um, and I actually don't do it anymore because there's this nice plugin where you can just click a variable and it'll just write a console log for you. Oh, it's it's called Turbo Log, hmm. and uh, one of the guys here at Quantum found it. Cool. Um, check that out. I haven't heard about it. Yeah, he's he's working on this um, uh, little piece about like the best VS Code plugins mm -hmm. to make a make a developer really productive and like m make them avoid some of the crap that you have to deal with, and and just enjoy writing code a little bit more. Yeah, that's kind of neat. Um, so stay tuned for that. Oh, yeah. But uh, but yeah, like I tend to like I try to be dumb when I write code. I go, okay, wait, what's the first thing I'm trying to do? Well, uh, I have this thing, and I wish that for every apple, I had two on it. Okay, so like, just let's write an array that has apple and two. Okay, so then what do I do with it? Like, Well, if it's equal to two, like blah, 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 and I just like, boom, boom, boom. Hmm. Console log the, the, the dickens out of it, or use a debugger if you want instead, or whatever. But it's just like, okay, confirm that you got the thing you wanted, yep. This is also really useful if you're working on somebody else's code base mm. and it's like maybe they didn't use best practices and you can't really introduce a whole bunch of changes because then you don't you can't really predict how the code's going to react to your yeah. changes or if it's used in a lot of different places it's and you're not sure if you're yeah. going to break something. Yeah, or you're going to like a bunch of you have a bunch of tests 
you want to run every time you introduce new code. Mm -hmm. And so you don't want to write yourself into a corner, have everything start crashing, you don't know how to regress it. Right. So it's just like one thing at a time. And then I still find like I'm able to be fairly productive, even though some other people will just like start throwing a bunch of stuff down because they know exactly how to solve the problem. Yeah. I just usually, usually I have no idea at the start of a problem how I'm going to solve it, but I know how I'm going to approach the problem. Yeah. Which so is probably, probably it's a lot more scalable. Yeah. Yeah. And it's teach, like something you can teach. Absolutely. Um, and that's the thing, like, I think this job is not as, I, I don't know, I hesitate to say this, but I don't think it's, it's as important that we be the world's greatest algorithm designers. I think it's important that we know what tools we have to solve the problems and we know how to repeatedly apply the same tools because that makes us easier to work with other developers if mm -hmm. they're working off the same tool set. Yeah. I, I don't think we've really defined all these things yet because it's a new trade, but I think that we're going to start itemizing. And we have, like we've written. I mean, I feel like it's, uh, there is like, a, well, like, you know, when's the end? There is no end, right? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. I think a lot of uh, the tooling is evolving. I remember like when I started developing, like just, oh, yeah. Even like, because I started with Node when it was How like long fairly, ago did you start? Uh, well, I started with like professionally about four years ago. Okay, yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe five, 2014. So, okay. Um, but JavaScript was a nightmare. Yeah. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was like there was Node and then there was Bower. And you had to figure out if you were writing a front end package or a back end package. Yeah. Yep. And the tooling didn't really, it kind of sucked. Like, yeah. you know, you could do testing pretty like well and you could do a lot of things but like for instance like mocking things and stuff like that like it was just kind of the wild west and yeah, you yeah. would pick up different stuff and i think that things have i mean it's the whole joke is like you know every single like week there's like another 100 different libraries that everyone needs to learn but yeah. i still feel like things are a lot more consolidated now Absolutely. you know you can um i mean crap you got create react app which has got just baked right into it. It's got everything you need. Yeah. Yeah, it's really bloated. Of course it's bloated. It's got everything you need. Mm -hmm. As you uh, get more experience, you would you would figure out how to build that on your own. But I remember spending two weeks just trying to get Hello World to show up mm -hmm. in React because I was trying to learn how to get like React to work. Mm -hmm. This was probably around the same time, like 2014-ish. Yeah, it would have been, yeah, because like 2014, 2015, I think uh, React came out in 2013 and I think yeah. think it got like popular in 20 for me at least i heard about it in like end of 2014 i hated the idea <laughs> everyone kind of seemed to hate it yeah and then all of a sudden angular just died like yeah, yeah. and uh people just, just that's immediately a warning it. too for like the next thing that you hate yeah it's like um there's a lot of other people that are gonna i yeah i i, I don't know maybe that's a discussion for another time but that's a cool point though i mean anything okay so like to be hated is there's power in it because nobody hates something that is ineffectual. Right. Nobody's like, you know, oh, I really, I hate that thing that it doesn't threaten me in any way. It has no impact on my life. It's like hate is an emotion you reserve for something that you have that you are afraid of or you don't understand. Yeah. Um, and you don't want to because you're comfortable in your little world and you don't want something to come in and challenge it. And that's not the only reason people hate things, but right. it's one reason software developers hate things is because yeah. like higher order components are the best. It's like, blah, 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 blah. we don't need these hooks. Like they're just like total waste of time. It's like, well maybe, right. maybe it's like a sunk cost problem. Maybe you've got a bias around it. Like hmm. I 
I catch myself hating things sometimes and I'm like, wait a minute, is this valid? Or is it like, is it my ego that's telling me like, oh, I spent all this time learning this way to do it. Hmm. What's this parcel thing? Like I know Webpack forward and back, like this is baloney. I don't want to touch this thing, you know? Um, Yeah. And I get, I get going about stuff like that. And I don't like Redux. I'm just going to come out and say it. I don't like Redux. Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, like just a couple weeks ago, I was like, actually, in this case, Redux is a really good solution because there's like too many things going on. It'd be nice to abstract all this logic and do a nice yeah. consistent place. This is where everybody else is going to expect it. We mm-hmm. should probably use Redux for this. But there is definitely an argument there where people overuse it. So like if, you know, I've, I worked on a very simple application where every single page had to re-request all of the data anyway because, it, right. you know, it was a constant refreshing app. It was like a, a banking application. Right, right. And it made no sense for us to have Redux, to yeah. be honest with you. Yeah. And we used Redux just for the sake of having, because we installed it. But then <laughs> we ended up like just pulling Redux yeah. out because it was overcomplicating things. And well, the new context API will, will do a lot of things for you. There's hooks too. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, there's a, there's a bunch of more lighter weight state management solutions now. Yeah. yeah. So um, I think people like to say they use Redux because it looks good on their resume. That is the thing. I, I've noticed that people will sometimes throw in extra libraries or a little like, yeah. extra zest. Same and, with GraphQL. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, oh yeah. yeah. Like what? Like what was wrong with the RESTful API? It's like I just wanted that extra three kinds of code that I had to deal with, like schemas, right. resolvers, yeah. and and really, you're just pulling in all the data anyway. So it's yeah, like you could have just you're not if you're not using that. Actually, the, another thing that um, my the old boss in the company I won't name. Yeah. But he told me he's like. If you've got a workable thing that you're doing, mm-hmm. and this is kind of like a contradictory thing, but it, it needs to be, tw- the new thing that you're considering needs to be twice as good as the thing you're doing right now before you want to waste the organizational effort of adopting the new thing. Mm-hmm. So if something is like, yeah, it's slightly better, but uh, we're going to have to like update this. as like, until it's like so much better that you really can't like justify not using it, mm-hmm. try not to use it because you know what? Two months from now, there'll probably be another paradigm that comes up. Yeah. There is a so where do you find that? I know, I know. Because I've seen some massive code debt build up from people being like, ah, it's not, it's not, it's not necessary right now. Ah, oh, we can do it next week. We don't do it. We don't really need to test this. Like, I, I, know, I don't know. I know. And I think this is where these are the kinds of talks that like software developers have about like, I really want to refactor this. And it's like, guys, yeah. we've got two features to land. We're not going to refactor that entire thing. Mm. Are you introducing new tech debt, or are you just like you just want to deal with something that's in place? Right. That's a good point. Yeah, and it's like maybe it's worth doing, but it's also you know like if you're working for somebody that's like um, if you're getting paid to build this code and you're working on something that doesn't directly relate to that code, then you got to be you know surfacing that too. So how it's would a, you? It's a tricky uh, balance. How would you go about like if so if you were talking to a junior and and they they felt that they're or maybe not junior but like you know just I've whatever. Had, I've had this conversation literally like like a hundred times. Perfect. Okay. So, so how do you you know how do you recommend them? How do you go about thinking through that problem? So um, yeah. So like let's say a junior developer comes in, they're like, you know what, like this is really clunky. I think if we just like replace this with some hooks, it would be a lot cleaner and blah blah blah. I really want to do it, but it's not inside the scope of the ticket I'm currently working on. Mm. So I guess I would say the first thing is like, if you're going to be implementing something brand new, by all means, if you can, bring it up to like the, the cur- currently accepted paradigm. Like, so if you're going to build a new form, then why not use like the React hooks form? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's a good opportunity. 
I don't think at that point, I don't think you're doing anything wrong because you're being asked to build net new code and you might as well do it in the, the most um, the, the most recent way of doing it because mm. that'll mean, it's basically like if you're gonna buy an iPhone, let's buy the newest version, it'll be the, compatible the longest. Mm -hmm. If your code is gonna actually depend on other code and that code is written in something that is kind of hard for you to get up to speed on because it's literally so old the docs don't exist anymore. Yeah. Or if it's, I kind of look at it and I go like, how much harder is it going to be for you to write it in the current paradigm versus re-engineering some other code, mm -hmm. getting us at like a net win, but also maybe getting your code done. And that's a gut. That's something I guess like, and I hate to say this, but something comes with experience where you're like, I feel like that's going to add this much time to it yeah but it's going to save you a little bit of time and by the way the next four issues we got in the queue are all going to be touching those same files yeah so why don't we just go ahead spend a day on tech deck clean it up and then our velocity will probably be good because we we got things to a, a happier place where everybody can enjoy them mm -hmm. and then where it's a no is like okay are we actually going to be coming back and touching any of this code anytime soon that we know of no then just leave it, it it's not broken yeah don't don't fix something that's not broken. There's you might a, break something that's already working. You might break something that's already working. The other question is like, how do we have unit tests around all of this stuff? Do we have like, are we able to actually test that the things we've introduced are gonna still work mm -hmm. and stuff like that? Yeah. So that's where it gets a lot more complicated. And I think that's the kind of thing you want to be you want to be having as like a uh, working in a team and having discussions about what to focus on. Mm -hmm. Those are absolutely the kind of things you want to be talking about because you want to get them doing these doing this calculus of yeah. like okay so how much time should they spending and a lot of times too i'll be like you know what why don't you just take like an hour and go down that rabbit hole and see how far you get mm -hmm. and if you're really getting good traction then like let's okay let's 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 finish it off yeah but if you're an hour in and you're like i had no idea this thing was in, informing so many other things and like i don't even know what i'm doing it's like get stashed just qu like quietly walk away from that branch yeah. and just pretend that you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, sometimes it's 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 worthwhile to just revert and <laughs> yeah. and you yeah. know, we we had a we had a situation like a couple days ago where uh, you know there was a, a valid change that had to be done on some of the newer components and it was working across the entire new portion of the code base. Right. And we saw an instance where that same kind of situation was happening in an older component. Yeah. And you know we replaced that button with that old uh, button. It updated the package, and suddenly it broke. Yeah. You know every instance of that of that package. Yeah. We could have uh, spent you know, and we did actually kind of go down like you know we spent twenty minutes kind of exploring yeah. the impact of trying. Have we to just fix done it. something silly or? Yeah, like, and know. then and then we looked at it. and We realized no, okay, so this was implemented in a very different way than we thought. Yeah. And the effort to change this isn't going to have any impact on future code. Yeah. It's only going to impact legacy code and it's potentially going to continue to break and cause more issues. Yeah. Whereas if we just revert it to the previous version mm -hmm. and just, you know, like you said, just yeah. kind of like, just kind of walk away yeah. and just leave <laughs> it and pretend it was never yeah. there. And it, you know, it, it solved, it solved our issue and, yeah. and we moved on. But we knew from that point forward, that there was a better way to solve that problem. So if yeah. we encounter that again in the new code, yeah. you know, maybe we've got that learning. Yeah. But that's also one of those things where, you know, if you have one developer with all the context, yeah. then how do you like share that? How do you lift it out? So yeah. it's actually like, I don't know, man. That's a really tough problem. Mm -hmm. Cause like the knowledge in an organization is is 
it's there's always at least a portion of it that's living inside of a human brain. Oh yeah. Um, I I think it, I think like really drilling into that problem and being completely, um, like just having zero patience for the oh well this is the person that knows that yeah it's like well okay but um, what happens if that person doesn't come to work today does everybody else just like right. So somebody, uh, so it's like somebody described it as, so I've heard, obviously everyone knows the, the hit by a bus factor. Uh, somebody described it to yeah. me recently in a much better way. He's like, it's the join the circus factor. And, uh, you know, how many people does it take to join the circus before your entire organization just collapses? Yeah. Uh, cause, yeah. cause I think that's actually more likely with developers. Mm -hmm. I think we're a lot more safe about how we commute, how we, how we get to work. Um, mm. but you know, a lot of us have some crazy dreams and we just kind yeah. of bounce around on those. Yeah, and, and also it's just like, do I really wanna like like interrupt this person to ask him to do something when mm -hmm. I could just go on Confluence and read about it? Yeah, or I, what or, I like is or, like, just be able to get that, if, yeah, I guess what you mean, yeah, it's a good point. I, Cause I always think that the value in like interrupting somebody personally, yeah. um, unless it's like, a, you know, you're always bugging that person or that yeah. person gets nothing done, but Having like a, a collaborative learning culture seems like uh, yeah. the best way. Yeah. Okay. And I totally agree with you. Like, yeah. like I. That, so that's the thing is, I'm like, I think it's okay if some of the knowledge is in people's brains, because because mm -hmm. if everything was just like you just like log into the to the matrix and it gives you all your answers and you never have to talk to another human, <laughs> that's not a really great thing either. Yeah. So I I, I get it. Um, one thing I've been trying to like get going is maybe this idea of like when you see two people collaborating yeah is there a way to lift that into a piece of content that you could either use internally or you could use it externally to show like the mm. quality of work that you do and so that's something we're, we're trying to get going here um it's just that idea of like yeah like you know what um i encountered this problem matt had this really good solution now i actually want to take that and i want to spend 10 minutes uh during lunch talking about it um, right and just sharing it um, I think that's like that could be worthwhile even just like you know make it as long as the the, the barrier to entry is super simple right yeah yeah then everyone will do it you know like yeah we used to do at my old organization we used to do uh, we called uh, learning by doing yeah. and we would just have somebody sit down for like 20 minutes after lunch one day uh, maybe we'd get pizza or something, but mm -hmm. we even took like we even took it super social, super uh, uh, casual. Where like we just you know got into a room, yeah, yeah, and that person just went over a problem that either that they've been looking into recently or like what they're currently mm -hmm. solving, and yeah. it you know most people would show show up, maybe not everyone, you yeah. know, and I think the biggest reason that that wasn't you know it was it was super useful, but. The reason it got kind of it, people were very niched in the like specific platforms yeah, on, yeah. in that organization. So when people uh, they didn't have a lot to share with each other because like it's like yeah this doesn't apply to like Angular or Python or whatever. Yeah, like if I'm working on web and, and you're sharing something with Android, maybe that doesn't quite apply. But I think and in our situation where um, a lot of what we do is full stack and a lot of what we do is shareable and yeah. and a lot of our projects we try to keep them uh built in a way where we can use common tooling and all yeah, of that yeah um i think there's a huge the other thing i yeah. like that you said though was this isn't like your principal engineer lording over everybody every week mm -hmm. and being like look at this brilliant thing that i did 
this is maybe even a junior engineer coming in and not only talk, maybe even talking about something that every, like a lot of other people in the room already knew, mm-hmm. but they have to learn how to present the problem in a concise way. Yeah. They have to learn how to publicly speak in front of a few people. Mm-hmm. Um, one, this is something that is a skill that if a junior really drilled into, moves them up to an intermediate level very quickly. Yeah. Because of the amount of feedback they get. Um, and I just I just think it's cool. That's just one thing I would love to leave people leaving like listen to this podcast to take away is like just like a culture of learning um it's just i think it's just where the best people want to be so it's really good from mm-hmm. your like talent branding perspective but it's also like um it's just just fun you know like like encourage people to um to share what they've learned yeah yeah and even beyond just uh you know the best people want to be in those environments absolutely those best people tend to just kind of crop up suddenly in those environments because maybe you know the best people are the people that learn to teach and that learn to learn and um that enjoy it and i think like you can i think there's a big bias towards this idea of like talent and inherent skill and we're looking for react ninja developers yeah we need geniuses geniuses. it's like come on no come on it's yeah (laughs) (laughs) i like to think of myself as like one of the like when i started anything i'm like the dumbest guy in the room yeah but like amen man that means you can ask you you don't feel afraid to ask questions absolutely and i i think that if you're constantly looking at your knowledge as this like prideful thing that you've acquired and you paid dearly for and and you don't want to expose any gaps in it it's like a suit of armor that you're hoping to maintain and Mm -hmm. i think that that it's just inevitably you're never going to get smarter than you are at that point you're just going to start getting dumber Mm -hmm. because you're not opening yourself up and you're not admitting uh where you've got gaps in your knowledge and it's it's this stuff's pretty complicated there's a huge landscape to it so Mm -hmm. everyone has gaps um and i just it's just so much more easy to collaborate with someone that comes to you open-minded and asking questions yeah. as opposed to someone that barges in and starts telling you everything they know. Yeah. Um, because, yeah. And, and I mean, like, y- you can have an organization where you kind of develop these, like, you know, superhero kind of sure. developers. And sure. it's nice to have somebody that can help, but yeah. you don't want that person to be the only person that can no. do it. And, I mean, I think of, like, there's three or four guys that I really admire – um, and I just because they were they were incredibly knowledgeable, but mm-hmm. they 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 just didn't have any ego, and and they were the kind of person. Because the thing is, is like if someone's incredibly knowledgeable, but they remind you of it constantly, and they kind of make you feel dumb for asking them, mm-hmm. you don't go back to them a second time and ask them for help. Yeah. But if someone's like, oh, tell me about your problem. Oh, okay. Have you ever thought about trying this? Mm-hmm. Are you stuck? Let me know if you're stuck. I, I've worked through it before. You know, just showing you like, hey, I've been where you're at, and I'm gonna help. I'll help you if you need. I'm not going to like strong arm you, you know, like I'm going to let you kind of find your own way. Yeah. There's a guy, I, um, I don't know, I'm not going to say his name because uh, maybe I'll, I'll list it in some credits later because okay. I don't want to like name a guy to get permission, but I yeah. worked with him in a previous organization and his knowledge level was insane. Um, but he, he was just had this quiet demeanor and he was very easy to talk to and he was always open to, uh, if you asked him on Slack, if you can come ask him a question, he was like, yeah, sure. What's up? And he'd mm-hmm. listen to you explain what's going on, and then he would start like like gently giving you some guidance. And I just was like, I yeah. loved I loved working with that guy. Yeah, I love the people. I, I think the real 10x engineers, which if there are any, are yeah. the people that 
bring up the people around them Absolutely. because you know if you can help 10 other people yeah. get incrementally better then yeah, you've absolutely. just leveled up an entire organization yeah I, I totally agree I think yeah um, cool uh, <laughs> any other like I don't uh, know how to like end the podcast yeah I know we could just keep track. talking for like <laughs> yeah. um, I guess I always try to ask one question sure. uh, that is kind of consistent towards the end and it is if you were to talk to a developer in a similar situation to yours when you first started, so you know somebody that was going into you know trying to get this thing started or trying to get something built or trying to do something with their career, and somebody comes up to them and they basically like the advice that they're getting is you just can't do it. Um, oh. How would you tell them to get started, and, and like what would you recommend them to try and do to learn first? Uh, first thing I would say is that. Um, People are always incredibly optimistic about what they can accomplish in a day, and they're incredibly pessimistic about what they can get done in a year. Mm. So when you look at learning how to build a web application, you yeah. tend to be like, I want to get it done. Like, I want to get this done today. And then mm. you're not going to get shit done for the first two months. You're not going to get anywhere. You're just going to figure out a whole bunch of things that uh, you don't know. Maybe not two months, but there's going to be a period where you feel really confused. Yeah. And that's totally okay. Um, I think the other thing is that people tend to accept mentorship and advice from everyone, and they should actually be a little careful about who they choose to let into their circle of mentors. Hmm. Because at the end of the day, you're getting free advice from people. And um, I've luckily, I don't think I've ever had a bad experience like this, but I've heard about people where they're just like, the advice they get just like we were talking about like your real 10x developers are the people that can calmly help you and guide you and then there's people that will use this as an opportunity to like to make themselves feel really smart yeah um so if you like i guess just think about the people that you're interacting with and are they bringing you up are they making you feel more capable mm -hmm. and then just be patient and be curious if something if you get something to work and it just works, but you don't know why. Yeah. This is one of the times where you've got all the time in the world to go and figure out why it doesn't work because you're not in production yet. Mm -hmm. And if you're just working on a pet project, the whole point of it is to learn more. Yeah. So don't just like be afraid of your application. Like be okay with like breaking it and iteratively or incrementally like making small changes and then constantly checking it and looking at it. Use your Use your dev tools. Use the your browser console as a great place to learn about things. And I guess don't worry about getting, like for me, I was worried about getting an app up into production. Mm. Just worry about learning. Learn about learning and then creating an environment around you that is going to be supportive um, and give back almost immediately. The minute you figure something out, try to share it with somebody else if you can. Like get into a community where you can actually do stuff like that. Right. And that's the other thing, just get get around people that inspire you. And I guess, just to kind of expand on that a little bit. Yeah. Um, that was pretty huggy-feely. Yeah. <laughs> but I, know, I think that's great. Like, that's, you know, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's focused on, you know, just learning. But um, how do you, how would you go about finding those people? Well, you move out of Fredericton as soon as possible. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Fredericton. It's a really great place for lots of stuff, but not... Actually, there's a lot of really smart software developers there too. I think but it's growing recently, though. It's it's it's, it's actually there's a there's a few companies out there that actually are really great software companies. But yeah. 
yeah, you go to a place that, like I said about environment, is like you, you go to Toronto, you go to these places. If you can't, you go to them uh, online, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so there's that. I guess like what I did was I just sequestered myself in a Starbucks or in my room and I just wrote code for the first few months. Mm-hmm. And like that was not the best way to do it because I, it was very stressful. You know, so I would like basically code all day and then I would code and I basically go get like a bottle of wine and I'd keep coding until I fell asleep. Right. You know, um, and just like get up and repeat that. Okay. Um, and so, you know, I was like, yeah, I was getting stressed out. I wasn't exercising. I wasn't socializing. I learned a ton, but there's a much healthier way to do it. And I think more sustainable way to yeah. do it. Because I had to unteach myself a lot of bad behaviors over the last few years. Hmm. So, yeah, I just... I mean, that's, that's what I would say is just um, go to meetups. Yeah, you know what? Be patient. Take the time and effort to meet people uh, that, uh, you know, get out of your comfort zone a little bit. I know it's hard, but uh, it's not as hard as, like, having to work on a project by yourself for months at a time without any help. Yeah. Um, and, be yeah, just be open to Like, people actually are incredibly helpful in this industry. Yeah. They, they love seeing people that are hustling and trying. Mm-hmm. Um especially if you're nice about it so yeah and I think anyone who's interested in like learn people who are are open to mentorship or, or do it as a part of their job are yeah. going to do it naturally like you and I went yeah. to that Juno event a couple yeah. of weeks ago yeah. and yeah I mean like I think we it's, both really enjoyed that we don't cons- I don't think you like I we both I think consider that as a net positive yeah just for us like it was re it was revitalizing to see people just coming into the industry and being so passionate and it made me feel like pretty privileged that I'm in the position that I'm in mm-hmm. and uh, it just feels good like it's like it's not a zero-sum game mentorship so yeah no awesome well thank you so much for uh, helping me complete <laughs> this <laughs> yeah, no problem and uh, you know maybe we can uh, revisit some topics in a little bit in, in a few months or something yeah for and, sure uh, yeah, and for anybody that actually is going through that and is having a hard time breaking out, just find me on uh, LinkedIn if you want, and I will take time to talk to you and give you advice if you want. If, you, if you're if you interested in my advice, there's probably a lot smarter people out there you can hit up. But can I uh, link that in yeah, the, sure. in the yeah, show notes? Sure. All right, yeah. awesome. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, stay tuned next week for another episode of Work in Programming, uh, where we – you know, get great advice from from people in the industry that actually care about, you know, getting that message out there and helping people. Chimo. All right. Cheers. Cheers.